millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport by myself, Catherine Whitaker, and David Law. We are in separate climbs this week. I in London, David in Solihull, and uh, we have both enjoyed the fruits of Sloane Stephens and John Isner's labour to uh, win their first ever Miami Open titles this Easter weekend and secure what at the moment, David, is a whitewash for the US of A uh, in Miami. As we speak, the women's doubles title, the women's doubles final is taking place and there is a chance uh, for Coco Vandeweghe uh, to get one last piece of glory uh, for the United States. But uh, as it stands at the moment, the Bryans have won the men's doubles. Stone Stevens has won the women's and John Isner has just beaten Sasha Zverev 6-7-6-4-6-4 to prove that um, 32 years of age really is uh, one's peak. That's 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 what I'm reading into it. Anyway, first ATP Masters 1000 title at the age of 32. All I need now is for somebody to do something meaningful at the age of 44 just to make me feel better and then uh, all will be well. Meaningful things are happening all the time oh. by 44-year-olds, just perhaps not necessarily as athletic <laughs> meaningful things. No. Um, but yes, well done, John Isner. His first Masters 1000 title. He's never before won even a 500 level title. He's only won two ATP 250 titles before this. He rises to number nine uh, in the world. It's really quite something. And similarly for, for Sloane Stephens, she beat Yelena Ostapenko 7-5, 7-6 in fact, 6-1 uh, in their final yesterday uh, to prove that she's uh, well, she's an all or nothing kind of gal, isn't she? She either wins huge titles uh, or does absolutely nothing at all. She really keeps us tennis fans and commentators very much on our toes. And actually, the the, the title victories of, of Isner and Sloane Stephens versus their year to date couldn't be more similar. Because uh, we'll go on to talk about Isner in a minute, but he's had a pretty rotten time of it uh, this year. One but match win, I think. I think One... he'd, I think he'd managed two, um, but you know, you're talking an appalling record, really, so far this year for the man. And then he's come out and done this. But Sloane Stephens, since the U.S. Open, she went on an eight-match 
losing streak straight after the US Open. Now, I was pretty critical of that, to be honest, throughout. Now, mainly because I felt as though her mind wasn't there. She has sort of hidden behind uh, physical issues over the last few days and has certainly brought that up a number of times that the mind was willing but the body wasn't however she did do an interview a couple of days ago on the court I mean she had a fantastic run to this to this title by the way because she beat Garbinia Muguruza in the quarterfinals she beat Angelique Kerber and then she's beaten Victoria Azarenka just to get to the final before beating Yelena Ostapenko so that is a, a seriously good run of wins for her and that's after having found a way past Monica Nicolescu more of that in a moment but the 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 thing she said on court the other day I think it was after beating Muguruza is that what happened to me after the US Open was I I had a good time I I mean and it's now back to the day job and that that honestly is how it felt a lot of the time i'm sure she was struggling physically to some extent but there is no coincidence that her best results come in the united states of america by far she she has done so little outside of the u.s generally and yet here she is in the space of six months she's won the u.s open title in new york she'd had a good run in the rest of the summer as well last year having come back off to that 11 month layoff and then she has this terrible run in Asia. She she loses first round in the Australian Open. We weren't at all surprised that she lost first round in the Australian Open. And then she ends up winning this title, beating a succession of really high-caliber opponents. And she was brilliant, Sloane Stevens. She was, she's a joy to watch when she can really be bothered to, to put everything into it and when everything is in sync. And I think part of it is a bad attitude sometimes and part of it is just her general makeup she is somebody who isn't going to be able to just punch the clock every single week I just don't think that that is her but I think to some degree we have to just take that and accept it because the good stuff is so good that it's it's a joy to behold because she doesn't just hit the ball hard she has court craft she maneuvers the ball around the court she has spin she has angles and in the final against Ostapenko I, I described it as as if she was employing plan b before she bothered with plan a and, and plan b was soak up everything that Ostapenko could throw at her and just effectively sort of rope-a-dope her way to, to victory by making a miss and, and it was just a master class in defending and chasing balls down and making her play more and more balls it was brilliant oh yeah she made Ostapenko look a wee bit one-dimensional didn't she which is which is something she's a she's a blooming good one-dimensional player but her her way in contrast to Stevens her way of winning is is blasting her way through opponents there's no compromise with Ostapenko but with Stevens she she can compromise or or her it's not even compromise because she does have you know beyond plan b she has c d and e doesn't she she has so much at her disposal which I think um provokes more backlash and more um disappointment when she does have underperforming weeks because her potential is so stark and so there for all to see that when she really um, brazenly underperforms, we all feel a bit cheated, really, because we we so enjoy it when when she does show up and and is obviously up for for playing tennis. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. Not we're not all made of the same stuff, are we? And and she's not going to be able to punch the clock week after week. We're never going to know which Sloane Stevens is going to show up, but. W- there's definitely without question a 
better, a far better chance of good Sloan showing up uh, in the US of A than anywhere else in the world, that's for sure. And that is not, she. she's not unique in that respect. She, it, it's not... It's not necessarily the case with all US players, but I think more so than any other nation, they do have this propensity to to post far better results at home, US players, than 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 others do. Is well, that she fair said, to say, she, do you think? She she said only partially tongue in cheek to to us on BT Sport. She was interviewed and, and she said well, why do I? Why does this always happen? Why do I play my best stuff in the US? You know, it's just I get to eat the food that I want, and I've got reliable cell phone service, and the Wi-Fi is good, and things like that. Now, I, I, I'm, I think she was partially joking, but at the same time, these little home comforts are important to certain players. I think, and and I think that it when she has been when she went to Asia at the after the US Open. I mean, there was it seemed to me that there was a clear letdown of. Oh, I've won the US Open. Do I, you know, do I have to do all this? I really could do without this. And and she looked disinterested on the court. I know that she was physically struggling as well. So it's easy for me to say, isn't it? I'm not a professional tennis player, feeling rubbish on on the court. But that's that's how it came to across to me. It came across disappointingly. But I can't give Nick Kyrgios a free pass all the time and not be able to apply the same to Sloane Stephens who has actually won a Grand Slam title and has now backed it up by winning one of the biggest tournaments in the world six months later. So she is producing. I think the other thing that was interesting is, I mentioned Monica Nicolescu. This could have all unraveled dramatically in the second match she played at this tournament uh, Stevens, because she was a set down she lost the first set on a tie break the second set she was at three all against Nicolescu, was just driving her crazy and, and Stevens credit to her admitted this she said you know this tournament is not won by brilliant performances against Garbini Magarutha because they would not matter unless I was able to fight my way through against Monica Nicolescu who's slicing and dicing me all the way to Beijing those were her words uh, for over the on, on an outside court and she managed to win that match and and that was that was huge that was huge for for Stevens because and I think it is for this type of mercurial player for them to show that application when they really need it and and you know all credit to her just a quick word as well on Ostapenko. She'd had a similarly disappointing year so far this year. It was it was fascinating to see her work with David Taylor, the the Australian coach, who was really trying to keep her upbeat and getting her to go for her shots, and and sort of freeing up her mind. I felt and trying to stop her worrying about doing anything other than going after her shots. And uh, and I suspect that there are going to be some more big results coming Ostapenko's way. And there are parallels also with what you're saying about Sloane Stevens. there. John Isner also lost a 6-1 set uh, in his opening match in Miami against Yuji Vesely. And and, and it, it's, uh, it's a bit of a cliche to say it, but it, the, the, the parallels are, are absolutely there. That's, you know, that's as much where the title was won and lost for him as it was in in the second and third sets against against Sasha Zverev today. Is there anybody before we move on to talk about that in more detail, David? I perhaps thought you might want to touch upon young Danielle Collins a wee bit before we talk yes. about the... Uh, the chaps well she's she's an interesting story i mean we, a, a word as well on victoria azarenka who reached the semis and looked very good doing so but daniel collins is somebody that i imagine a fair few listeners haven't heard 
about before and i saw her for the first time last year i think in indian wells she she managed to to have one match which she lost um and i read up about her at that time she she'd come through the college system um basically gone to virginia university decided that she was going to study media studies and 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 get a whole degree behind her rather than taking a wild card into the US Open which would have guaranteed her $35,000 uh, at the time um, because the scholarship she got to that university was worth 50000 every year for, for, for the years that she studied that and she decided I want that behind me and, and it's fascinating to hear her talk this week about how that that has sort of freed her mind up in the in the really tight moments it makes her not worry so much because she feels almost as though there's not quite as much on it you know that if if i lose this match yeah it's a shame but i've got a degree I've, i'm you know if, if all, tennis doesn't work out i've got this behind me i'll get a good job it's fine and she she's 24 but she's got that sort of mental maturity out there of a player maturity is perhaps not the right word it's the the sort of enthusiasm of somebody who's 17 because this is all new to her the, the the circuit and and my goodness she can play the game a absolutely world-class backhand from what i can see and and she she beat venus williams along the way she'd she'd had a decent run to the fourth round in indian wells and here she goes and and beats venus on her way to the semis so it's it's a fantastic run she more than doubled her prize money for her whole career in one week um she won over three hundred thousand dollars last week and I I would be surprised if we don't see a lot more of her in the future. And, and I just think it's nice to see a player who couldn't afford the fancy academies when she was young. She had working class parents. She she managed to get a scholarship to university. And now she's starting to make it as a tennis player. Good for her. And Victoria Zarenka back inside the top 100. Some great performances. But ultimately, am I being harsh, David, in saying a bit disappointing against Sloane Stevens? I I think you are a bit I, only in as much as I think she ran out of gas to be honest. Um, she, uh, she but, was, but is that I agree? But is that not in itself a bit disappointing? I don't know. I, I think it's to be to be expected okay. for somebody who just hasn't played very much recently. Yeah. I think she hasn't built that match toughness you know that hardened herself to the rigors of it all and she also got really wound up on the court she i think she started to feel it going uh, a little i mean she ended up losing about 10 games in a row and she got wound up by the crowd she went sort of head to head with them and and i think she just burnt herself out in the match a bit to be honest yeah well, where, where i mean where will we see her next we still don't know do well, we it's, it's that's, sort of that's it's a very... big question mark it's very difficult to talk about. Usually, you know, we talk about these players in terms of an arc, don't we? Their 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 narrative playing arc. It's not just about their result in a vacuum. It's about uh, the context of it in respect to the past and the future. What does this mean for the future? That's what we do as a podcast, isn't it? And I, and I I don't know what any of it means for Victoria Azarenka's future. I don't know if we'll ever see her play. You know, it's not inconceivable that that's kind of it. And I don't know how on earth she. She gets herself not motivated. You can still see she still loves the sport and is in great shape and everything. But we know that this is a game of absolutely tiny margins. Even if you're fantastically talented and have all the gifts and everything, the margins are absolutely tiny. So not that uncertainty of not knowing when she'll be able to compete again, when she'll be able to get ranking points again, all of it. I, I don't know how she 
she deals with it. Will we see her on clay at all? I don't know. I mean, it's it's pretty much all in Europe, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, the, the, there's Charleston, but will we see her during the clay court swing? I don't know. Very, uh, very good question, and I, I agree with you. I mean, for, first of all, I think she she has got herself in the most incredible physical shape for somebody who hasn't been able to play the sport. She, she's obviously just been in the gym a heck of a lot and training really, really hard. I thought the fact that she managed to get her level to this point would suggest that she could, as long as she can stay fit, she can pretty much turn it on and off because her level was amazing for somebody who just hasn't been playing matches. You know, We've seen how difficult it has been for, for Novak Djokovic and, and for Serena Williams to come back and immediately reach the levels to which we're accustomed. But you're right, I mean, it's in her mind, how does she reconcile the fact that she is a top tennis player at the peak of her powers in so many ways who is not really going to be able to play tennis until she sorts out this custody situation with her estranged partner who basically is not letting her leave California according to the rules of, of the the custody situation with her son and she doesn't want to be away from her son which you know you can completely understand so it's it's a it's a pretty difficult situation for her. I mean, I, I hope she gets it sorted because she's still got so much to offer. I mean, just 28 and playing tennis like that. She's back in the top one, 100, which, you know, all other things being equal <laughs> will, will help. And she's certainly, you know, she's 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 still going to get, if she's able to play, she'll get wild cards, you know, pretty much wherever she wants. But Sloane Stevens is back. In she's inside the top ten, not back inside the top ten. She's in the top ten for the first time. John Isner also. They've both risen to number nine in the world, David. And and this is fresh in our minds because it's happened less than an hour ago. John Isner winning his first ever Masters title, age thirty two. I know I keep saying it, but uh, it's quite something, isn't it? That he's. I know in terms of the the Roger Federer canister, he's maybe not quite a 32-year-old in the way we, we think of 32-year-old tennis players because he started a bit later. He went through the college system uh, as well, so sim- similarities with Daniel Collins there. And a number of the um, the US players now, Steve Johnson went through the college system, didn't he? Um, but still, 32, to win your first Masters title, to genuinely be talking, uh, even even at the beginning of the year when things were were, as we've been saying, woeful for him, he still had this sort of something in his voice and something about the way he was saying that he genuinely believed his best tennis was still ahead of him. He obviously knew something that we didn't, didn't he? He he, he, he genuinely did seem to, to know that this was in him. Special um, praise, by the way, should also definitely go to, to David McPherson, his Australian coach, who also has been coaching the Bryan brothers. So he has sort of won three titles this week david mcpherson yes. do you think they yeah. should make him some kind of honorary trophy of some sort or just throw <laughs> yeah, him a, I mean, throw the, him a big party and a cake he should definitely many. get a cake I, I can't think of too many people if anybody has ever done the sort of the the coaching double at a tournament like that um at, at, a, at a tournament of this level i mean what what an ama- you know what an amazing achievement with no i remember players. when who was it james blake and marty fish or was it it was definitely marty fish and another american player uh, that were being coached by the same guy was it marty fish and sam query was it Sam Query and someone? Was it Sam Query and someone else? It was David Nankin was the coach. Yes, that, that it was Sam yeah. Query, and it was another American. 
Yeah, I think it might have been Marty Fish. But Marty anyway, Fish, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but they're still not the same. Just a word on, on, on John Isner age-wise. I mean, you, you talk about him being 32. There's a couple of things. I mean, he did actually, you know, the first time I ever really remember seeing him play tennis was 11 years ago at the US Open. And he played Roger Federer and he won the first set. And Federer was all conquering at that time, of course. And, and, and Isner won the first set against him. So you're talking 11 years ago when he was just 21. So he wasn't that old when he started. And I also think, and I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who's, fairly freakishly tall um and 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 i know how how many aches and pains i have when i when i wake tallest up tallest guy ever to win a masters 1000 title david yeah well, him not me um, yeah and that but, but that means that if you won one that i mean that 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 title's gone now well it is because to to put it into perspective i'm six seven and when he comes up to me i feel so intimidated and inferior and i and hate he hates it, it. oh it's so he, annoying you hate it i mean it is my thing being tall is what i do well right? it's a weird thing about tall people isn't it my brother is like that around you because he's used to being the tallest guy in the room yeah and he oh. doesn't like that you're an inch taller than him he doesn't no, it's like bit, it it's just a bit you know uh, mm, don't like this uh but you know he's uh he he has to be the only person that i've ever seen on court thank his chiropractor <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, you know, you can imagine it. Just imagine how long it takes to sort of roll his body out of bed and kind of iron it out. Every I mean, morning. it is it being that tall um, is in many in many respects a sort of physical disability, isn't it? I mean, in right. terms of the, the <laughs> no, I said that tall. I didn't say tall in general. I'm talking, I'm talking six nine, six ten plus, which is what which is what he is. I mean, how. There must be some days where just everything hurts. I know that's the life of, of a professional athlete, but yeah, uh, it, it's staggering. I love that. I love. We've probably talked about this before on the podcast, haven't we? But the fact, referring back to the sort of tall people not liking other tall people, um, when 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 John Isner came on the scene, and he, so Ivo Karlovich was the tallest tallest sheriff in town, and he was supposedly six foot ten, and then John Isner came along and said, "I'm six foot ten. So mysteriously, Ivo Karlovich's uh, height the next year in the ATP Media Guide was six foot eleven <laughs> yes quite right and actually he, he uh isner and riley opelka have done a little photo shoot next to one another to find out who's tallest um and it's it's pretty even but karlovich appears to just about have it um but what, just go on well i was just going to say what what do we think now for john isner i mean obviously the fact that clay lies in weight is not ideal for him so it's not you know the the perfect test set of conditions um in terms of what he can use this wind to propel him to but all other things being equal what what is this a a lovely wonderful moment in his career sort of potentially in isolation and he'll continue to be a you know a, a top 20 25 player or is it not too late for this to propel him to being a Grand Slam contender. He's barely ever really done anything at Grand Slam level before. I think it's fair to say, some may find this harsh, but I think I've said it on the podcast before, that in terms of Grand Slam performances, he has disappointed throughout his yeah, career. I, 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 think. Th I think for for one of the most intelligent 
educated people on the circuit. I think some of his scheduling for himself has just been head scratchingly bad. T T mask. You know what? What? Not that bad, but, but <laughs> almost worse in a way because he's it's the not, benchmark. He hasn't played as relentlessly as team, but you, you look at some of his choices as to when to play, and 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 the, I've lost count of the amount of times he's just completely tired himself out ahead of, for instance, the U.S. Open, which is the one he has the best chance of winning. Um, and I just don't. Why would you take that much out of your canister? He always plays Winston Salem, doesn't he? Yeah, always. I d- I I'm sure that's that. a great event, but you're absolutely right. That is the one he has the most chance of winning. It is. It is not an accident that most Grand Slam contenders don't play on the men's side the week before a Grand Slam. That's not a coincidence. That's not an accident. But I would. Um, say, I would say he does have a chance, you know, because particularly now. Yeah, and the re- the reason I, well, say, he, I mean, look, but you know, I think it maybe it points to the fact that maybe he didn't think of himself in that way before now, but he he ought to have. But maybe this will change things. For I, him. I I think the bigger the bigger point is that he he's always run into Andy Murray or Novak Djokovic or Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer, and, yeah, and you know, welcome not, to being a tennis player yeah. in. In, he, in this he, era, that's... he is one of the few that can worry any of those guys on his day because his game is so big he can take the racket out of an opponent's hand. We saw it tonight against Zverev, who had won the first set today, and Isner came back firing and broke the, the Zverev game down. We'll come on to talk about Zverev in a moment, but but just about Isner in this era where you don't have a Djokovic at his peak, maybe that'll come back. You don't even have an Andy Murray on the scene. Rafael Nadal's injury record of late has been pretty poor the last six months. And and Roger Federer, I mean, yes, he's been amazing, but he is 37 in August. You know, this there is a window here. The problem is, can John Isner get himself playing this sort of tennis when when he needs to at a slam well that's the question for me if i were john isner that would be my absolute number that would be my raison d'etre that would be the only thing that mattered to me how can i make sure i'm playing this tennis if not better in new york this year you know to screw the rest of the year irrelevant uh, you know i've won a masters 1000 now i i, I know i know that for that to be the case it will require playing you know the right warm-up events etc etc but that has to be everything to john isner now it has to be an all-consuming thought yeah will it be i i I, I don't know i mean he he, uh, logically he should consider wimbledon in the same same bracket shouldn't he grass etc etc but for some reason i don't quite i I think movement wise on the grass getting low i know that his serve has great penetration on the grass but this i don't know he he just can't get low and he's won he's won newport three times (laughs) i mean i know it's not not quite the same level he's won 12 (laughs) titles overall but he has won that but i agree with you i mean he 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 is almost too tall, really, to 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 play and be as successful on grass. But yeah, the there's a law time, of diminishing returns with and he, and height he's quite, and serve. He is and grass, quite good on it? clay. Do you remember him? I think he took Nadal five sets on clay a few years ago um, when Nadal ended up winning the title, one of his ten, and uh, and that was at yeah. the French. So you know, he he's just he's one of those players that people do not want to run into. In in a quarterfinal, one of the one of the big five, they don't want to be anywhere near him. I, I think. What do we think 
about Sasha Zverev, Alex Zverev, David, and his performance in this final and his his quite glorious racket smash, which I know you'll oh, want to touch upon. That was amazing. Uh, it was after he lost serve, wasn't it, to uh, to leave John Isner serving for the match he in goes, the he third goes set. so far up in my estimation when he does that. because <laughs> It's a know. great old racket smash. It was a classic of the genre. Yeah, it's done with such sort of pent-up frustration that he's held it in for the whole two hours. And he's, Had he he's held it in for the whole two hours, of, David? Yes. I mean, you know. Not really. Mm. He was pretty frustrated when he lost serve at the end of the second. Yeah, pretty but that, frustrating. But that was a proper smash, and then he did another one straight afterwards, just for good measure. So I did quite enjoy that very much. So, but I mean, you know, the thing with Zverev, uh, I feel really, um, I feel a bit conflicted talking about him because he, I still feel like he's not delivering on his potential, and that seems just outrageously unfair for for somebody who's achieved so far a lot more like for like than Nick Kyrgios at a younger age and he's achieved more than all of these other young players really apart from maybe you could say Edmund now that Edmund's made a semi at a, at a slam but I, do you know what I mean I, yeah. I don't quite understand what uh, it's not I don't feel like I'm being fair to him but the yeah, hype but, tells but me that he's is, supposed to be dominating life is feels now. isn't it life is feels and it 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 feels it it feels like he's underachieving somehow not in a dramatic way. I mean, obviously, this is a great result. But, you know, he won't be happy with this. He's going to be, you know, look at his face during that um, trophy presentation. He said all the right things. Credit to him. But it was obviously killing him standing up there with the with the runners up plate. That really hurt him today. He feels like he should have won that match. His... It, uh, I I don't want to do any disservice at all to John Isner, but there were moments when it felt like it was on Zverev's racket and his his nerve cost him in a way that it didn't cost Isner. Isner's um, nerve held up, I thought, in a way that Zverev's didn't quite. I like to see Zverev nervous. I have to say, I, I it it reassures me that he's he's not too cocky and he's not. Yes. Too much taking it for granted. I, I like to see a nervous Alex Verev, and and boy, did we see that today! I think the nerves really did cost him. He probably should have broken back um, when Isner was serving five four in the second set. He had a couple of chances, I think, in uh, at least one of those. I think he had a backhand pass, which or- ordinarily he definitely would have made. And and Isner stood up to the the examination in in a way that he didn't. And in the end, he his forehand broke down, didn't it? And I don't know. You're right. You're right. We are on paper being unfair to him, but. If we're being unfair to him, then it's nothing compared to how he'll be being with himself. I agree with you about the the nerves. I also warm to him that he was so disappointed. I like to see that. I think that that Definitely. bodes well for for his his future. Um, he, I, I've got a question for you. Um, do you, how much do you like watching him play? Do you, you know, if you put him up against the others in that sort of bracket, where does he come? What, what do you mean by the bra- age bracket or style yeah, bracket? Age, age bracket, that sort of. In group. terms of style of play, it is. It's n- not. I mean, every, each to their own. But there are plenty of people for whom that that is an enjoyable style of play. For me personally, and I think very generally speaking, you know, if you're gonna 
if you're going to talk about all the things that we praise Roger Federer for in terms of style of play, he is a he's a bit of an antithesis to that. He's fantastically talented. He has glorious timing, but aesthetically, aesthetically, those things are less um, ostentatiously pleasing uh, than are you know the 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 more Federer esque. Uh, skills i it's not my favorite style of play i like him i like his um i like his frailties at the moment i could imagine becoming if he did become you know a metronomic all dominating winning everything um type player i could imagine becoming bored with that but then i i i usually do become bored with people that that win everything i like more i like competition more than I like tennis. I like yeah, to see, when, when we I like to see met, a good match more than I like to see beautiful you, tennis. So you I didn't uh, like Federer, did you, that much when we first met in 2007? N- you you weren't into that. No, it was too, I couldn't I couldn't relate. It was too he was too good and it was it seemed too easy. Now I know, I know that's ridiculous, but it it seemed too easy. It wasn't it felt too uncompetitive. I I like I enjoy watching competition. I'd rather watch two players ranked 400 in the world battling it out than I would want to watch the number one in the world playing divine tennis to beat someone love and one. Um, but anyway, but we're, we're getting away from the point here because I think what you're getting at is that very broadly speaking, notwithstanding people's... Um, more niche preferences it is not the most objectively pleasing style of play is it i, no, I think no I, I, I well, I'm, be, a, I'm being a bit mealy mouthed about it to try and not <laughs> you know what i'm getting at look i got i got into trouble the other day when i was watching denis shapovalov against borna chorich and i i tweeted if you, if you don't enjoy watching Dennis Shapovalov play tennis. I suspect you don't like tennis, and I got absolutely hammered from certain quarters. Now, from people that didn't enjoy watching Dennis Shapovalov play tennis. No, I, I think most of it was maniacs, well, d- d- absolute well, maniacs. No, I don't think it was that. I think it was, you know, what you're really saying is you don't like. You don't think anybody should. Don't think anybody likes tennis who doesn't like the same thing as you like. Um, oh, for goodness' sake! This is why this. That, therein lies my issue with pole vault. That people <laughs> people like that get a vote i mean look as as i say if we're prepared if we're prepared to to um make blanket statements the way we do about roger federer um and that sort of style of play then the, the, the there is a reverse side to that coin isn't there we're accepting that there are more more and less pleasing styles of play you know we talk about federer being a magician etc etc there are there there are certain yeah. No, yeah. I, I look. I'm with you. But the, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, and and I, see, I I keep trying to really really like Alexander Zverev's style of play. I keep thinking, come on, you know, get into this. Let's see what this is all about. But I personally, I'm not moved by it really. Um, on the whole, there are occasions where where I have been. I think what he did at the Davis Cup was just exceptional at the start of this year, helping to to beat Australia. Um, there have been moments when he's played against Kyrgios when he's come back at him during a match and I've, and, and got in, really animated, and I've loved watching that as well. 
but style of play wise no I, I'm not excited by Zverev at, at this point certainly not compared to somebody like Kyrgios or Shapovalov it's just a personal preference the, the other big question here rumours went bonkers a couple of days ago because Ivan Lendl was in Miami when I think when I think Zverev was playing I don't mean he wasn't in his box or anything like that but he did get everybody talking and, Lendl and it, basically lives in Miami yeah I know but just imagine <laughs> what that has got to be on paper the perfect com- combination hasn't it this guy with just seemingly unlimited potential who's yet to even go beyond the fourth round of a grand slam he hasn't reached a quarter final he he from what the coaches say he has some sort of issue with his forehand that is not producing the goods and you've got this guy even Lendl, who had one of the great forehands who had an issue with getting over the line he did it with with his own career he helped andy murray get over his hump in his career what an amazing alliance that would be particularly with jez green who was part of that team as well in in the group that that looks after zverev i mean that would be a formidable pairing i think don't you Yep, sold, David, sold. You've completely sold me on it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Talking of uh, coaching alliances, Novak Djokovic and Andre Agassi. I know. No I know. And it was the, the, the news was, I mean... It's always been pretty loose in the sense that, you know, there are some coaching relationships where if the coach is absent from the box on one occasion, you'll, you'll, questions will instantly be asked. Whereas, you know, if Agassi wasn't there, you wouldn't instantly think, oh, well, what's going on here? It was, it was definitely seemed like a more relaxed part-time arrangement than even some of the other super coaching 
uh, partnerships. But it, it was actually Agassi that confirmed in an interview to ESPN um, that they had gone their separate ways and that it was because that it was Agassi, or certainly his side of the story, is that he, he made the final decision. It was because they found themselves um, agreeing to disagree more often than not, which is... Oh, again, I mean, we're in speculation town, aren't we? But it's pretty interesting and in, in broadly inside. I mean, it just makes you want to know so much more, doesn't it? It just makes you want to have been a fly on the wall in every coaching-related discussion they ever had. But <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and actually, yeah, it's, it's it's a wonderful glimpse, but it's just not enough. It just makes you want to know all the things that we'll probably never know. And it's probably the second thing that I've been slightly surprised that Agassi has done as part of that relationship over the course of the last 10 months. The first was to say that I'm here on my own dime, which I thought was a slightly surprising thing to to put out there that I'm not being paid um, uh, at the time. The second one is for him to effectively announce the end of this relationship without an official announcement from Novak Djokovic you know these two these things tend to happen as uh, a mutually agreed separation don't they That's yeah what well they, we, we when were we talking about it the other day about how how sickly <laughs> how sicklily um saccharin and uh mutually agreed and um uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, the, all these coaching partnerships seem to split up in a in a Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow esque <laughs> conscious uh-huh. uncoupling yes. kind of a way that just makes you want to be sick. Yes, but the the, the fact is, I mean, you're right that I have to say give you some credit here because you were always skeptical about that combination and you you never thought that that was real to be honest did you now i think they were i think the intentions were were genuine but i mean you weren't quite as on the ball as goran ivanisevic who i think told you didn't he at the french open this this is not going to last and actually it's probably lasted longer than expected except that there's a there's a massive great big hole of inactivity in there as well when they probably weren't doing a whole lot together so you know, I it's not that I thought it was fake. I, I just thought it was flimsy, um, and I don't know. I didn't quite see the the the, the mesh in quite quite the same way. I I, 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 I don't know. I, I I didn't think it was a. I don't think it was all for show or anything. They certainly did did work together in in, in some capacity. I, I, Maybe there is maybe there's a world in which there is something that that Andre Agassi could bring to Djokovic, and he's just not in the right place mentally yes. for, for that to work. I, I think game wise, mentally, I think that is certainly a possibility. Well, we remember don't... when when Lendland uh, Murray split for the second time? Well, really, I think the view was, well, what's the point in having a super coach when you're not a player? Because at that point. Andy Murray wasn't playing any tennis. No point. Yeah, but Djokovic is a is a player. I know, but, he but hardly. A, you know, he's, he's this yeah. is not the well, Novak Djokovic. Well, exactly. We're used to. I mean, it sounds sounds awful to say, but you're right. Yeah, he, he's, an, he's an afterthought at the moment because he's not relevant to the to the conversation. I mean, he's relevant in terms of his all time greatness. He is one of the all time greats. Is Novak Djokovic? But at the moment, he is not relevant on this on this scene because he and, can't win matches. And maybe you know, there's a difference. But, and you could say, well, 
that's where Andre Agassi was for a while. He dipped down to challenger level, didn't he? And, and managed True, to yeah. come back and be maybe a Grand Slam winner. Maybe but that's what he wanted to get across I don't know. There's a, it, historically, uh, and Lendl, Lendl and, and Murray and, and Becker and Djokovic are probably the best examples for this. The super coaches, partly, I guess, because of the, the, the limited time generally that they're able to devote, they, they want to be the marginal gain don't they they want to to get you over the last bit bit of the line to glory they don't want to be doing you know the lion's share of the work they want to be doing that crucial um intangible last bit of the work that is completely invaluable they don't want to be doing the day-to-day grind of 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 making you a, a relevant tennis player which is which is i guess what radek stepanek is doing with Novak Djokovic just at the moment. And again, I want to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> why can't why can't we why can't they all be mic'd up all of the time and be followed round by GoPros? It's not fair. It's not fair that we only have to speculate. I want to know so much more. Yes, me too. Oh, yeah. it's intriguing. It, it, but you're right though. It's interesting that and and again, you know, as much as um Becker and Djokovic um, that the announcement of that split um, a year or so ago what was in control of the uh, the Djokovic camp and it was all very amicable and so on at the time. Becker did then a bit break ranks with, with the Sky interview that he gave where he questioned um, Djokovic's work ethic in, in the months leading up to the split. That was a bit sort of unexpected in terms of the the, the general course of a, a breakup and and how little we we end up hearing about the nitty-gritty of it and again this is this is one that's got away from the the Djokovic media PR machine and I, I doubt they're very happy about that no I dare say you're right oh it's fascinating well I mean it, it'll be interesting to just see what those two go on to do both Djokovic on the court and Agassi whether he has another re-entry into the sport, whether it's given him a taste for it. Because, I mean, we've seen some players come onto the scene, think of Martina Navratilova, who had her her brief coaching assignment with, with Agnieszka Radvanska. I know she was really keen to do some coaching. It it didn't work out, didn't last long, and we've not seen her do any since then. Yeah, and, and I struggle to believe that she... I know it would have to be the right person and the right price and all of those things, but I struggle to believe that there isn't somebody out there that, that could make it work and wouldn't hugely benefit from, from Martina and Rattle over at the coach as a coach. I, I find it staggering that there are these these coaches that are on the shelf. You'd expect them to be so highly in demand, wouldn't you? But yeah, but we're in a we're in a, a super coach lull phase. What, yeah. David? Final question for you. It's a big one. So prepare yourself. It's 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 a very broad wide ranging question what's going to happen on the clay oh that's that is so interesting because uh Roger Federer is not playing it Rafa Nadal is coming back onto it uh, a few pictures of him in training he looks like he's uh he's starting to get going again um Juan Martin Del Potro has been in amazing form of late I think it was something like 15 or 16 match wins in a row before he lost out to to Isner in the semis there um and yet he's sort of talking Del Potro as if He's going to have a bit of time off now and and rest his body and maybe not play that much on clay. And I, and I I have to say, I think that that would be sensible, really. He's going to have to manage his body quite carefully. 
What's going to happen? But, but, you but know, equally, I, think... I don't disagree with you, but equally, with Nadal an unknown quantity for clay, and that, I mean, that may only be the case for a matter of, of, of days or weeks. You know, it might be that he comes out and plays Monte Carlo and is in absolutely beast-like form and we all go, okay, he's going to win the French Open for an 11th time. <laughs> but as it stands at the moment, he's an unknown quantity and there is no natural, you know, that leaves an enormous Grand Slam door open, which I can't believe wouldn't feel tantalising for Del Potro. But, yeah. you, you know, you were right in what you say, but I can't believe that, that that wouldn't, he wouldn't feel like, wow, I've I've got a big chance here. Anyway. Yeah, I I, I personally think Nadal is going to come out in beast-like form and, and be okay because I think he'll have had so much time off to get fresh. He'll have sorted this injury out. Um, and I think he'll, he'll go bananas on the clay as usual and um, watch out everybody but who's who as it stands at the moment i'm asking all the big questions now is second favorite for the men's french open title da, da, da. um i would say so I've, gen, if you can't tell i've genuinely put david on the spot here this is <laughs> this is off the top of my head line of questioning i genuinely want to know well I, no, I, normally i would say dominic team but I, but i know he's been injured of late uh, i think he's got the yeah. next most natural game for it can I, you imagine think, what he's like having been unable to play tennis might doing the world a good <laughs> he <laughs> might he might have just he might just be rocking back and forth in a dark room <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then, then there's Zverev, who who does seem to be quite consistent at producing results. No, but you um, can't just list good tennis players, David. Be, I look, want to know I think if you were too, an odds compiler, who yeah, would be? I, your I, I think favorite. I think the final, if if it if the draw works out like this, is is going to be uh, Nadal, Nadal against team. Okay, and on the women's That's equally, if equally, if not more interesting, we've got Serena Williams on the comeback trail going into. Her least favourite surface. We've got Yelena Ostapenko, French Open champion, who has a lot of is going to have a lot of pressure on her shoulder, but has done a lot to alleviate that pressure uh, by reaching the final in Miami. I think had she gone into the, this clay swing, not having had that result, just having had the, the poor run, run of results that she had had previous to Miami this year, she uh, uh, she could have been feeling it. But then again. Does Elena Ostapenko feel pressure ever? I don't know. I, I think I she know. does if people start getting the ball back. I don't think it's sort of ahead of matches that she gets nervous. I think it's when it starts coming back. That's why Stevens was so good. I thought that she just kept. Yeah, but that's her play. that's tennis pressure rather than like emotional. Yeah, and I'm not pressure. so sure she'll have that uh, the emotional and mental pressure really. I think she enjoys it. I think she enjoys playing. Um, I don't think she gets too wound up. I, do you know? Uh, shall I tell you who, who the, the three okay, players? Who, yeah, who's so who's favourite for I'll the keep, women's French Open title then? Uh, well, Simona Halep for me. She's She's the best clay court player in the world. Um, and so I'd, I'd go with her. I would say your other two, if the draws work out, I would put Stevens in the semis as well. I think she can be an excellent clay court player. And I would put Alina Svitolina in there. Serena Williams, I just think it's just it's likely to be too early for her to be dominating on clay. But I do think by the time we get on the grass, if she's had enough matches on the clay, she's the favourite for Wimbledon. Um, but but I'd go yeah I'd go probably with those three and Muguruza uh, would uh, would be the safe ones for the for the semis for me. But I think I think Simona Halep will win the French this year. Ooh, I got a prediction out of him. I'm gonna have to do more putting David Law. Oh, what, the what are you going the for then? I I agree I agree I agree with you about Halep. 
don't know about team. I, I I worry for the fact that he's not been able to play much tennis. I, I don't. We haven't had an update on his knee, had we? So who's going to win them both then? Halep and Nadal. Goodness me, that's boring, isn't it? Especially after that's I've just said that. That's a boring, them, right? boring prediction. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry, folks. You'll That'll be all change to know. over the next six weeks. It'll all change. You'll be pleased to know, though, that next week you will be spared our boring predictions. I don't uh, because did we make any predictions? Because um, David is uh, has grown uh, completely fed up with the apocalypse-style weather that we're experiencing uh, this spring in the UK, and is bobbing off on holiday, aren't you, David? Oh yes. So you will be treated um, not to terrible predictions next week. You will be treated to our third Ask David and Catherine special, which we recorded a couple of days ago. Um, and it's good, isn't it, David? It's good. It's not that we're blowing our own trumpet, but absolutely. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's all right. It's amazing. It's, all right. it's awesome. Um, and uh, in it, David, no, do what well, I can pay you to Monica Nicolescu. You don't, but you accepted it. You took it on the chin. There you go, little preview. You're going to love it, folks. I tell you, the, 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 <laughs> there's there's so much scope for for us to be embarrassed. You, you'll love it. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, so that will be out uh, in a week's time, and then we'll be back a week after that to uh, to bring you another one of these with lots of terrible, terrible um, predictions and um, useless speculation about all the conversations that we don't get to hear because players aren't mic'd up all the time and don't carry around GoPros. If I if I was president of tennis, then that's what would happen. Um, we have been, David, unless you have uh, anything else to add. No, I'm fine, thanks. Far away. We, we have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport with our three executive producers triple s melanie bows and tennisballs.com and with lamanga who uh as i always say are still offering their 10 percent discount to all tennis podcast listeners on accommodation and on their tennis packages t podcast 18 uh, is the code to enter upon booking go to uh their website lamanga.com uh, and of course charlie the ferret is still our official tennis podcast mascot we'll speak to you next week 